Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. In this episode, I'm talking to Talia Baldwin, Chief Executive of the Geospatial Commission, and Alex Note, who as well as being placemaking and investment director at PFP Capital, is a non-executive independent commissioner at the GC. We're talking following the publication of the Geospatial Commission's Building Better Decision-Making Report, which outlines how better location data should and could unlock innovation in the real estate sector. During this 35-minute conversation, we look at what the barriers are to unlocking greater use of data within the real estate sector, why everyone is intent on collecting data but still feels uncomfortable sharing it, and what joined-up thinking might actually deliver for the real estate industry of tomorrow. It's a fascinating conversation, and if you're a sucker for a spreadsheet, then I'm about to make your data. I'm sorry. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EG Property Podcast. And on today's podcast, we are taking a deep dive into the fascinating world of data. Stay with me, everyone. It really is fascinating, I I promise. Uh, And joining me on the podcast today is Tanya Baldwin, who's CEO of the Geospatial Commission, and the lady we all know for many hats. She wears so many hats. Uh, uh, The wonderful Alex Note. I'm one of the commissioners um, on the team, and um, we all kind of have a subject area, so I've chaired the property work and the the National Land Data Programme. Let's start at the beginning, and, and Tanya, maybe tell us a little bit about about you and and then a bit about the geospatial commission and, and if there is if there are people in the world of commercial real estate who who don't know what it is why they actually need to know what it is yes of course uh, hello and thanks so much for inviting uh, me to speak to you today uh, the geospatial commission so it's a bit of government that really cares about unlocking the value of location data um, and how that data can be used to support innovation and growth um, and how it can interact with new technologies to provide um, different and more efficient ways of doing things across lots of different sectors, um, including in property. So we've been around for a few years. Uh, we are now in the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology, and we've just published a new government strategy to 2030. Fantastic. Uh, different and more efficient, definitely words that real estate needs to grab onto. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll come, come back to, to that. Alex, um, obviously you need no introduction, but do one anyway. <laughs> You're very kind. Um, I am Alex Note. I'm the placemaking and investment director at PFP Capital. So we see the kind of residential-led uh, range of funds that we offer there as part of the wider Places for People group, which is the leading social enterprise in the UK. So we're all about kind of the mixed use for generation and high quality places and homes for our customers. Um, and as you said, one of the hats I very proudly wear is, is a commissioner for the Geospatial Commission, um, because I've always been a bit of a, a data geek. Um, and it frustrates me enormously that we you know we are in this industry that has so much potential and is grabbing and talking about data all the time, but nobody really knows what to do with it. And we get locked in these very analog silos where nothing can seem to get done. Um, there was a great quote by a guy called Dan Ariely in like 2013, where he said, you know, data is like teenage sex. Everyone's talking about it. Nobody knows how to do it. You know, and no one's actually kind of really doing anything properly with it, but everyone's pretending that they are. And I think we have moved on a bit from that. So there are some really exciting initiatives. There's a whole prop tech sector that's really growing and, and the Geospatial Commission has kind of um, kind of hubbed, uh, hosted a lot of that through, kind of supported a lot of those companies and startups. But the, the we are the very, very tiniest tip of the iceberg. 
and says, yeah, because I am not a pure data person, but I sit across, I can see the potential for all the things we could do. So I just like to be a kind of a, a loud voice and a champion for trying to push down some of those doors and get this actual genuine collaboration to happen because the transformative potential is huge. Okay, it's That's a great quote, Alex. Amazing quote. We didn't use it in your forward for the paper that we published, though. That's all right. There was a, there was something waffly around around it at the time. <laughs> it's taking everything I have as well to say that that, of course, has nothing to do with the fact that we are a overly male industry in real estate and that they have these things that they don't know anything. They don't know what to do with them. Um, but we'll we'll leave that for another podcast. But it, putting the gender bits to one side, there is. <laughs> let's be honest. It's entirely it's a, if it's an industry where you can make a lot of money doing the same thing over and over again, the incentives to change are not necessarily there. Right. So that might be in the case of ESG. And you know, it's very much carrot and stick in this industry. Unless you're made to change, things tend not to happen. And actually where data has this kind of huge potential of things and where the Geospatial Commission, I'll let Talia outline the kind of partner bodies, but the, the really interesting bits where it does touch into our industry through kind of HMLR or the Valuation Office or Ordnance Survey, you know, there's all sorts of potential, but we're not asking the question because we're too busy just doing our business as usual jobs. And the data guys and the, and the policymakers, you know, it, it's the known knowns and unknown knowns. Nobody knows quite where to segment it in the middle. So we need to be having these broader conversations to try and find those sweet spots where we can work together. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. So, Talia, let's go. Let's go back to the most recent um, piece of work that you put out, which is the building better de decision making. Just talk me through, um, I guess, the the key points that that come out of come out of that, and and where we go next. I I suppose the asks that there are as part of as part of that. Yeah, sure. I mean, just going back to Alex's comments, I think that. The public sector too is a bit of a laggard when it comes to using data well uh, for various different reasons, maybe incentives, maybe culture, maybe capability, that kind of thing. So uh, the policy space we're operating in attempts to highlight, acknowledge that, you know, there's a systems based approach that's necessary for all of these these connected things where data is relevant for something like the property life cycle. So the report that we published acknowledges there is a property life cycle and that different departments in government have uh, different ownership of parts of that. And then it tries to identify some, um, some themes that are relevant therefore, such as how important standards are, uh, you know, just that you need to take a systemic approach to addressing improvements in uh, construction and uh, energy efficiency and development and retrofitting and regeneration, because that kind of policy responsibility is owned, as I said, across uh, different agencies and different government departments. So it was an attempt to describe as concisely as possible how all of these things fit together and then shine a light on some common themes that enable us to join some dots and hopefully uh, at the beginning of a conversation then develop that to make sure that you know we are doing this together in government um, when we're developing policy around um, targets for house building, for example, that there's a uh, site of an impact on the wider policy around land use, another area that we're quite interested in, where local plans need to account for, you know, changes in transport infrastructure, where you need to have new developments, conurbations, that kind of thing, where you're connecting broadband, next up, uh, broadband networks up with new developments. So just trying to concisely bring all those things together to start uh, and rapidly develop a conversation with the relevant bits of government. So a really easy job. 
<laughs> it's an interesting job and everyone's very um invested interested motivated committed uh, the people that we work with alex mentioned our uh, partner bodies so the six agencies that we work with in particular and lots of those have good property data that does work well together could work better the valuation office agency ordnance survey the land registry etc um, so we have good conversations with those bodies but yes it's it, it's tr quite tricky sometimes because because i'm a journalist i'm always cocked to the position of let's go for the bad news first can we talk about Perhaps some of the the challenges that there there are, and then and then we will get onto the opportunities. But um, there must be huge challenges in the way; otherwise, we would have we we'll, would have been there, been here sooner, I suppose. Alex, I'll say that because I'm not the civil servant, so I can say it. Um, the uh, <laughs> there was a great report by the Bennett Institute for Public Policy at Cambridge a few years ago. And I, it just it was one of the best gifts on Twitter, which I refuse to call X, it's on Twitter. But basically, that they overlaid all the um, local authority and kind of regional um, decision-making bodies, definitely from NHS trusts, metropolitan authorities, uh, education trust, planning boundaries, on a kind of a map. And it was a gift of just you know 50 or 60 differing boundaries, and you know the incoherence of our political geography. And you know that you've written before, Sam, you know about that that fight about kind of powers from London and other cities wanting those powers and that autonomy you know, um, business rates, those kind of things, that the time that is wasted because of those incoherences and the big chunks of the country that aren't covered quite often, but, you know, because those boundaries just get missed. So, you know, we got rid of um, RDAs and then had this kind of weird patchwork of LEX and combined authorities, but it's not quite consistent. You know, that for me is, is a reflection of, you know, what's happening also at a central government level, where, as Talia kind of alluded, you've got, you know, and I remember when I started my career as a civil servant, you would have an element of some policy areas where, it's split across a couple of departments and, you know, an, an enterprising um, official who wanted something funded could do a kind of teenage kid going, well, I've asked mum and they've said no, so I'll go to dad and play them off against each other. So that inconsistency often also comes down to like data being tracked either in different ways or not at all or in some parts, but not in others. And so you just haven't got the information to take really basic decisions because you've just got all these bodies all with different baselines and different geographical areas. So those, this is where I think some of the really basic stuff around location data, you know, that we all got our head around with track and trace during COVID, but actually you can see how that kind of, that pinpoint actually can really, really help because you can get a baseline and you can get that data up actually relatively quickly and sort of start afresh. And so if we're talking about things like um, digital planning and kind of looking at, you know, and that tension around, you know, the peri-urban extensions and new areas where you can, do, you can, you can actually, get really clean baselines and engage people and get, get their responses and their data in one place much more clearly than we've ever really been able to do before with, you know, someone's written up the aggregation of lots of post-it notes for feedback and it's on an archaic website where, you know, has published it, but now you can't access it because the server's crashed or no one's, you know, actually being able to hold data in real time and use it is something that could be so beneficial really powerful and and you think are, are people now are people getting their heads around that because we see it here at, at eg with the with the wider business and you know you know can we have a contributory database yep. with all sorts of other data coming into it but there's still a there's still a whole bunch of people who like a spreadsheet and yep. you know they want they want it offline offline somewhere so how do we yep. change that perception that you know, it's okay to share because, you know, people aren't using this against you. They're using it for you. 
Well, we have a weird cultural thing with that, don't we? So it's the whole kind of GDPR. So we're one, I think the only European country that doesn't just routinely publish things like energy use of buildings, because you know, utilities just provide that anonymized data as standard in most other countries, whereas we go through this rigmarole of trying to get customers or tenants to give permissions and that kind of thing. So yeah, there is this resistance to information whilst we're simultaneously giving away huge amounts of personal information all the time. But um, so I'll let kind of Tyler talk about the kind of the data side of that. But I think for the industry, there is just this growing understanding also that the industry's always been quite opaque. So, you know, we've we've all walked past kind of bits in our cities and we're like, who owns that? And why has nothing happened with that terrible site? And then, you know, you can't journalists like you are trying to track down the the shady company and offshore that you know owns it and who is actually going to do it. You know, there is real value in being able to kind of have a bit more clarity about right that the entities behind this this project or this piece of work. I mean, we are in a world now where businesses have to, whether they like it or not, communicate much, much more about what they're doing. And when we're in the kind of place business, I think we have that responsibility to do that. But a lot of the data buildings have could be super, super useful. So one of the things I kicked around with Talia in the team, you know, valuation office probably have more data on the, the structure of buildings than anyone else. They could probably quite quickly be able to say, you no, know, your property, you know, the, the roof type, the solar orientation, the condition of it, it's probably 80% likely that it could support solar panels. That probably, you know, rather than a company having to leaflet, um, you know, in it, entire streets you could actually zero in on that quite quickly and say you know this public data set says that your property might have this would you like to explore this opportunity in an energy crisis there's things like that that mm. have commercial benefit to UK PLC it's not invading anybody's privacy but it is publicly held data that already exists so I think I just wanted to be a bit more innovative about that kind of thing yeah I think we're hoping to fuel that conversation actually I think there's there's a range of challenges I suppose to us all doing better and one of those is historic blockers to information sharing in the public sector so where legislation has set up a bit of government absolutely ages ago and it's kind of tightly drafted because no one had even considered that data would be valuable outside the use of that organization so that that's the case for the for the VOA and culturally and capability wise actually they're very good and they want to be able to share data it's just you know in amongst everything else getting the legislative time to try and change the system uh, in order to enable greater use and then there's the data not being fit for purpose as well so you know how you get hold of local authority data and standardize that the land registry are doing a really great program but have been doing it for quite a few years on local land charges which is just a component of the data you need for you know buying buying your house um, and uh, it's just been such a arduous I think program from the offing to get the money to fund that and then have people pay attention to them doing it to choose a way of centralizing the data in government and then you have that kind of linked block around the tension between whether um, you allow the market and local authorities to kind of go off on their own and do some digitalization, including for kind of information they provide to the people who live in the area for local plans or whether you centralize that because you recognize it's actually more efficient to do so. But does that hold some people up? Does that make it impossible for some areas of the country to go ahead and do things? So really big policy questions, I think, really real things that get in the way. I think the desire is there to change the system, but the historic setup sometimes just prevents us moving very quickly. So what what are some of the unblockers, I suppose, that, um, that we need to think about to, 
to help help with that, whether that's you know within the public sector and and going back through old legislation and un undoing undoing it where it needs to be undone. Is there you know is there crowdsourcing that can help with this? Can we use the public and can we utilize the private sector? I think there's a big bit about user experience here that we should connect. It's it's really to be like, oh, I'm a geek and I love this and get in the data. You know, there are lots of people just kind of like, you know, you go kind of what and go, oh, I'm not in you know, I can't build the database. Actually, one of my favorite um programs that the commission has is the is NUR, the National Underground Asset Register. And it's it's brilliant. It basically maps everything two meters down. So, you know, when they're digging up your road and then they hit a water pipe and then three months later they're digging up again, you know, it's just that thing of knowing what is there. And, but the brilliant thing about it is not just the mapping and having got, you know, all the interested parties, the utilities, the mobiles, the security services to kind of sign it up to it, but actually it's just making it so it's really, really easy to use. It's not a burden. So if you're kind of a contractor and you hit something and you literally all you have to do is take a photo of it. You don't, you don't have to fill in a form. You don't have to do paperwork. There's no hassle. And so it makes it usable. And, so, and this is a thing versus really good intentions but unintended consequences of things like BIM, like building information modeling we know can be phenomenal but you rely as you alluded to earlier sam on everybody absolutely inputting the data into the model every time and if you get to a point where you've got you know a harassed facilities manager who's got a broken bathroom on the 20th floor of an office building and they know that they're supposed to go into the model and log a particular part and say how they, and, but they also know that you know they've got a mate at Travis Perkins you can give them basically a part that will fix the bathroom and they'll do that and that's fine because he's fixed the immediate problem but then the model starts to kind of erode its value and that's thing if we can't make the, the data and the tech that's that kind of performing it usable for everybody and actually interactive and fun then it's pointless anyway having it so that's why I think it's really exciting seeing things you know like people are getting much more into gifts and, and inputting it but actually creating tools that anybody can use so and anyone can understand what a UPRN can offer once you can explain it to them. You know, that a unique property reference number. You don't have to have your Amazon delivery disappear because they can't find your property because it's you know, it's a new street or new bit or whatever. And so, you know, th th everyone can get their head around. There's a value in that. I can I can see what that is. So I think the focus that the commission had is not just been on like the policy in the big picture, that all as important as that is. It's been on that real micro. What's what's the use case? What's the kind of tangible benefit here? Yeah, I think connecting those things as well. So putting a strategic wrap around, you know, clearly articulating the problem. So you're not trying to tackle something that's not a real issue. Um, collaboration has been really key for us. We have loved doing the National Underground Asset Register <laughs> program. You know, we've come a long way in the last couple of years with energy and water and telecoms companies and local authorities working together to figure out how to share data um, that say, let, let's face it, it saves everyone time and effort and money in the longer run. So the incentives are completely aligned and we've been able to articulate that. And then that kind of modeling of value for the economy, for the taxpayer, where we can save money either on water bills or where the government has to otherwise invest. So just that kind of strategic wrapper that really makes it very clear what problem we're trying to solve, why, and you know how valuable that's going to be is something we've been able to do through the strategy. And I, I want to ask you a question about um, something that I hear all the all the time when we're talking about innovation and these things that we clearly need to do that will make things more efficient, that are transformative. And then we get to ah, skills and talent. Uh, do we are those skills out there? What do we need to do to to bring them bring them in? Um, how do we sort of amplify 
um, the value of data as a as a career, perhaps, but and you know, for property people uh, as well, for you know, for UK PLC. Sam, I haven't even paid you, and that's like one of our key themes in our new strategy. I'm so happy you said that. <laughs> Go on, Talia, you can do the magic skills thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do care about it. You can't use data if you don't have the skills to use it. But there's just such a vast amount of different kinds of skills. You know, if you're building a platform, that's different from if you're uh, using it or analyzing, using it to analyze data. Um, and the government does have an evolving set of professions and functions around analysis and data. And in the Geospatial Commission, we house the geography profession, which is made up of a couple of thousand people, including across local authorities that have a different range of skills, including the ability to apply that kind of bigger geographic picture thinking to, uh, to some data analysis that they can also do. So. We tend not to want to summarize here. You know, it's important we understand what skills are required in order to make sure that the, the public sector has them and the industry are paying attention as well, because I don't think this is just a public sector problem. Alex, you might be able to say a little bit more about that. No, absolutely. I mean, I think the industry thing um, is, is what Tyler said earlier about the need for a systems approach. And, you know, when I, I'm always banging on about the silos, but when we, when we talk about innovation in real estate or in property, most people tend to think about the widget they're thinking about the thing you know we've invented this little thing that will make your deliveries like two percent faster or we've in invented a smart meter or a radiant heating panel or something it's, it's a thing and that, that there's value in that you know there's value in the physical product innovation but actually there's only value if that kind of apis neatly into all the bits around all the other elements and because you know running a building or running whether it's a home or an office or a warehouse whatever is such a complex thing with so many moving parts so innovating one little bit of it if it doesn't then work with everything around it it's pointless and so what we do need that systems approach so I think that's been you know my consistent feedback to people in the prop tech sector when they come and pitch some exciting kit to me and they always want you know to guinea pig it on a portfolio because we have a large new concept well that's great but it's a rounding error it's a very expensive pilot for me to do for not you know much gain in terms of value either to us our investors or our customers in those properties and actually, if you went away in APED and made it a bit more systems based, a bit more strategic, then there's value in that. And so I think that's, you know, we talked a little bit before about MMC and, you know, one of my perennial frustrations. And it's something that Mark Farmer highlighted in the Modernise or Die report quite a few years ago now. But is until you have standardisation of components, you know, in that compatibility, you can't scale something if we if but we're as an industry obsessed with the IP and holding mm -hmm. that close. Well, if I take something to an investment committee to underwrite it, but I have to say, well, we'll go with Tylia's system, but if they go bust or anything happens, we have to demolish the entire thing, get a new planning consent, and then we can use Samantha's system. And that, you know, that, that's completely illogical. Of course, it's not scalable. Whereas in other markets, they've been able just to set standards. They compete in different areas, but they do share data. So I think that does come back to a lot of what, what the commission has been doing really well in you know, roundtables and conversations across public, private, academia sharing information because there's the thing of everyone had it we've got it we've got to use it we know there's a value in it somewhere getting a lot of open source stuff that then allows some iteration to find more solutions that's what I think is potentially really exciting for the next chapter of the strategy that does hit on the skills but the only other I think is terminology is so important so you know the geographer stream we've had really interesting conversations with the universities considering rebranding their courses because they might call it kind of GIS data mapping and that will you know, appeal to maybe physics students and kind of 
material science geographers, but it's not appealing to people who actually, if you said this is a really cool way of kind of engaging maps with places and the stuff you can do, they might go for it. So I think we need help from people like you to find finesse better words to kind of own the space of what this means, because data isn't just the spreadsheet and the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes in so many different different forms, doesn't it? Um, you've you've both touched on some really big um sort of use cases um for for data bringing data sets together and it's a it's a real um sort of passion of mine to help um real estate understand the impact that it that it has and it sounds like if we can gather um the right sort of data use it in the right way that actually we can help showcase that and um Alex you talked about solar panels on roofs and if we've got data we can we can see how real estate can help with the um, journey to to net zero. We've obviously got whatever it'll be called. Um, if if something else happens with a new a new government down the road, we've got a leveling up issue that we need to deal with. And and Talia, you talked about different different local authorities having different um, abilities to to do things. How can we, if we can really open up the world of of property data, um, how can we utilize it to solve some of those? those big issues that uh, are going to stick around regardless of what colour and um, power we have in place? I think some some tools exist. Um, we, we've been doing a, a slightly separate but parallel piece of work on land use. So identifying that in this country and in every country land is a finite resource you know you've got what you've got you're not going to grow anymore but the range of government commitments that require land use use for different purposes um, requires more land than we have in the UK probably uh, we need we need more land the size of Wales again uh, to be able to meet all those commitments so you can you can have approaches to multifunctional land use or you can understand or make some choices about how many houses you want to develop and what what should be farmed in this area of the country and where flooding is going to affect something over the longer term or coastal erosion the you know the thing that we found quite powerful is data visualization. So coming mm -hmm. back to your point about um, how uh, how we can start to surface and address some of those problems, you know, the, the tools for that exist in the market. There are loads of companies and more that are able to take existing data and um, model a scenario that is trying to set the scene for future choices that either the government can make or developers can make or you know what a town might look like in 10 to 20 years time and i don't think we use those tools often enough we we've done some pilot work in uh in bits of the uk in devon um in northern ireland in in cambridgeshire in particular where the industry gathered together worked with a data visualization company and i think we're amazed at how efficient a snapshot could be if you plug the right data into what land would look like if it was used for this or this or this i wonder if you know the, the industry uh, would benefit from a collective view of you know visualization some scenarios for future um with data that already exists it's not a hard job and that might actually help us identify where uh, other data that it's harder to get hold of to put into those kinds of models would be really useful and that would help us to target that you know the availability of that data in future yeah one of the other pilots is with the the alan turing institute in newcastle done a lot of work on in this kind of bit as well 
and um I think it is just making that really that making property and place more tangible and in finding common common ground the report about kind of the land use framework you know we were talking about things like food security and energy security and water security and you know, in initial roundtables when you had a look on a court you know, core property people in you know, RCS values and the room going well this isn't relevant to me but then you get in the conversation you go it really really is <laughs> you know we need we need you've got policy commitments from DEFRA about you know, needing to regenerate peat bogs across the UK and, and exactly as Tyler's saying, well, okay, let's model that out. If we do that here, but we can put housing here, how, how do we, what scenarios do we put in to make this work? And um, that has been a really interesting thing that I, I do think would have real value in so many ways to to developers wanting to do consultation. And we, there are lots of great companies like FutureFox and Commonplace and BuildSide who are all doing stuff about community engagement. Those are important data sources that you need to plug into. So you're not kind of, doing that awful regeneration thing of doing something to a community with good intentions rather than responding to what what the needs are but actually you can plug in those future needs around okay actually at the moment you know flooding is a huge thing the environment agency have reprofiled the whole of the uk but we've also got real drought issues and we need to model both ends of that and we're not doing that really and if you are you're kind of getting a little bit of data from the ea but for, as it, from a developer perspective you just want to know you know how much risk to put into your appraisal and pricing you know the one in 1000 year event or a one in 100 year event but actually if we could have those bigger picture visualizations you can start to think a lot more creatively about oh, do you know what that location isn't the right thing for this use let's move it around a bit yeah or i guess um you know if we do this um intervention over here it does make that land useful i know there yeah. was a there was a piece in the times wasn't there um a little while ago about a uh, pig farm that stopped being a pig farm that then enabled cleaned up the water that enabled a housing development to be built yes. down, down down the road and thinking wider than just hit my development plot and exactly. um, helps helps you do all that my, my big question to you Talia is here's this op opportunity on this podcast through the pages of a VG to talk sort of directly to to the property sector to investors to the prop tech community um to local authorities as well they're, they're part of our, our readership or, or usership what would be your ask of ask of them how do you want them to in, engage with you how do we need to get this message over over to them that there is such huge opportunity yeah well i think that parts of the industry know that we have engaged over the past few years and we're not the policy owners for property or housing, but we have done a great deal with the policy owners on the data side of that. So I think I'd just say what, what I've said before, tell us where you want the government to do things with data that, you know, we can look into and, and help and make things better, you know. Um, we will start to change the way that we've been focused on property and bring it under the umbrella, I think, of land use as we develop that. And that's a rolling program. So we will be engaging with industry in the future uh, very soon over the next few months as we build a business case, actually, for what the capability should be in government around that kind of decision making. So we'll provide the opportunity to give us some more input. But tell us what you would like us to do with data and property. That was That's what I'd say. I've been really fortunate to have through chairing the National Land Use Data Programme, we formed an expert advisory group, which has been a really multidisciplinary effort, but it's included representatives from you know, BPF, RCS, all the kind of professional bodies, RTPI, 
who've been fantastic and given a lot of time but there's actually Dan Hughes has set up the Real Estate Data Foundation, the Red Foundation, and the steering group for that. And I think that is a really important vehicle for the industry. There's a lot of work that's been done there already on things like data standards, you know, code of conduct and ethics. And the, there's a lot of stuff that's if you're kind of looking at data and not knowing where to start, there's a set of resources there and information that's really useful. But also it is a collaboration which has had great support from loads of industry bodies and I think that's something that is a really important thing to do and to look at what the GC is doing as Talia said and tell us what kind of areas you want us to look at you know there's a whole transport work stream we haven't really touched on that's been doing loads of stuff on EV charging and you know the infrastructure need for that well you know practically every developer I talk to is moaning about how on earth they get enough power to get you know the EV as well as powering the kind of electric building so you know, there's huge potential for us to do something around that but what would be great to hear from you know your EG family is you know what's the what are the pinch points what are the bits where you know we can have that value add in the, in the data that we could use that maybe is sitting in the public sector already but hasn't been put to use yet. I think there's a great opportunity here isn't there for the the real estate industry which often complains that it's not heard uh, in the way that it wants to be heard to to talk to um, the GC talk to you Alex talk to Talia about things that are important and th- places where um, we can unlock opportunity and maybe just maybe we can influence policy in the in the right way to yeah. to do what we all need to do for for this country and beyond exactly you know, we've had loads of roundtables and i hope you're going to keep doing that so if people you know have views and want to be heard you know, please let us know because we'll make sure that you get a chance to come and engage in those conversations fantastic well, it's been a really fascinating conversation i'm going to put links in the show notes to um, both the Finding Common Ground and uh, Building Better Decision-Making um, reports and um, and a link to that that um, sort of dummies guide that you mentioned there for the on the Red Foundation as, as well. And um, yeah, I guess the call out is if you're interested, if you think that you, um, or if you have any questions, then reach out to, to you guys and let's, um, let's uh, change the world. Talia, Alex, thank you for joining the EG Property Podcast.